So, Berto, you remember 9-11? You remember... That sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, there have been people around the time of this tragedy, just a tremendous tragedy, that lied about being in the in the buildings or about being in the city. And, and some of those famous people have been ousted. Ousted? Outed? Outed. 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 They've been outed. Ousted, they would ousted, have been kicked out. Kicked out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've been ousted from the truth <laughs> from the truth room into the liar's room. And they're mostly is, by me, by the way, because I was there the whole time dragging people out. So I know who was and wasn't there for reals. Right. So I've been the policeman in right. the, and then you would have not seen the following person who was perhaps the most famous liar from nine one one. Aside from Bush, because of course he he actually you know was a was he, a controlled uh, uh, demolition of the buildings, right? He, he turns into a Hulk. It's like a gray Hulk. Yeah. This episode is a disaster so far. But anyway, <laughs> the most famous person is Tanya Head. She is if you haven't heard of her, she is perhaps the most famous survivor Infant. of of the of nine eleven, and. Also, ironically, the most famous liar about having been there. One might say infamous. So I want to talk about her. What do you say? Yeah. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a professor and a therapist. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I remember things like 9-11. Patron Renee, or it's probably Renee, right? R-E-N-E-E. It's not Rene. It's not usually. It's one two e's. Not Rene. Rene or Rene. Rene. Or maybe all the e's are silent and it's just Rene. So patron Rene, she says, "You guys inspired me to become a patron. Oh, I love all the thought-provoking work you provide." We weren't supposed to make fun of her because she is a patron. That's right. Have you considered doing one on Tanya Head? She was the nine eleven survivor that ended up being fake. Well, I had never considered doing an episode on her, but since you're a patron, your request is my command. I had actually never heard of her until patron Renee wrote in. Had you heard of her before? No, I actually hadn't. (laughs) Yeah. So I decided to look into it, and it's a fascinating story. So let me tell you what happened. Spanish woman from Spain claimed to be a survivor of 9-11, and right after 9-11 happened, it was on the internet mostly because, well, I'll get more into that in a second. She joined the World Trade Center Survivors Network Support Group, mm-hmm. which from my understanding might be the most prominent support group or, or conglomerate of survivors of the World Trade Center. I created it. I should know. <laughs> yeah. Along with the internet, right? Right. She joined the World Trade Center Survivors Network Support Group. And then with all of her online action with this group she later became the group's president she became the president yeah wow her name was regularly mentioned in media reports of the the attack she became the most (laughs) famous i mean she's the president of the survivors group she was highly involved in the media she was interviewed all the time she she met rudy giuliani she must have had a story like a detailed account right which i'll get to in a second uh, she was chosen to lead tours at the Visitor Center. Oh, my God. Have you been to the Visitor Center? No, no, I have not. It is incredible, the museum there. Uh-huh. It is one of the most uh, affecting museums. You yeah. uh, you just have to go, man. It, it's a, it's really amazing. Yeah. And that the sculpture with the hole in the ground and the, the, the fountain thing and all the names, it, it is... Um, it's a it's if you ever go to New York City, it's it's a wonderful place and terrible at the same time. So she was interviewed by many, many people. She, you know, she was on many, many uh, talk shows and news things and, you know, books were quoting her and stuff about her experiences on 9-11. And she gave a detailed description of how she barely escaped the World Trade Center before it collapsed. It was a famous story. Basically, she said that one of the jetliners hit her building on her floor. She was on the floor where it hit. Yeah. I mean, and the planes hit multiple floors, but she was on one of the, she, she wasn't, she was, it wasn't like she was below and she just happened to be, she, she was there at the impact. 
and she witnessed her assistant getting decapitated by the crash. Oh, my God. You know what? If you're going to tell a lie, make it big and full of details. Right. And then she said she crawled, and she actually had a scar on her arm from some previous injury, and she said that she experienced like tremendous burns on her arm, and so she would show, uh, if I remember right, this scar as evidence, you know, of her being in in the right. In there. If I'm, I am only eighty percent sure of that. Okay, she said that she was crawling through the smoke and flames on the seventy eighth floor of the South Tower. This made her one of only nineteen people above the point of impact to have survived that that in that building. Uh, she now that takes some guts, right? To be so bold faced because if it's like yeah, well, I'm one of like two thousand people. Right. But it's like one of nineteen. Right, right. She claimed that her fiance Dave was killed in the North Tower. She also claimed that a dying man passed his wedding ring to her so it could be returned to his wife. Come on! Yeah. And everyone believed it, you know? She she would tell this oh story God. probably hundreds of times online, on the news. I mean, you know... Well, yeah. For, for some of our younger listeners and for people who didn't, you know, grow up in, you know, the Northeast, I, I was in Seattle when, this, when 9-11 happened. But... I remember, and Berto, I know you do too, because you were completely obsessed with the news yep. during this time, the sheer terror we were all involved in and the sheer amount of of, of um, highlighting and spotlighting <laughs> particular people. Yeah. I mean, every moment was being documented and every person was being interviewed and every angle was being talked about. Constant and, stress. Yeah. And movies were being made and recreations yeah. and conspiracy theories and and we were all extremely traumatized by this i after that and maybe even a little bit to this day it's it's traumatizing and it's terrifying to think that people that you don't know that they're upset at you can just kill thousands of americans in one fell swoop you know in this very dramatic fashion, it's it's really scary. And, of course, you know, people all over the world suffer from this kind of fear, so we're not alone by any means. In fact, some would argue we have some of the least amount of justifiable fear about this, because in other right. countries it happens, you know, all the time. Yeah. But it was terrifying. And so this this event basically meant that anyone who was there would be instantly, you know, made into a saint of some kind. Yeah. If you, and there were people who were legitimately there who were, you know, interviewed all and became instantly famous. Well, it's true. Like, if she was telling you this story at the time, who would doubt her? Like, who would come out and say, wait a minute, are you sure you were there? That'd be blasphemous. Right. That's another thing. It's like, who would question her, right? right. You're not going to, you're not going to say, uh, and, and what journalist? What anti-American Ooh, journalist they would be burned at the stake, right? Is going to start questioning her story? You know, that's yeah. just not. And and this this uh, mindset wasn't just in two thousand one when this event happened. It lasted for years. I mean, the amount of nine. I remember at the I think at the ten year mark in in two thousand eleven, it was like. 9-11, the 10th year, you know, 10-year anniversary. And I was like, 10 years? It feels like yesterday. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's still it's still a thing. Like, uh, just the other, you know, a few months ago, whatever, remember Giuliani said, where was Hillary Clinton during 9-11? And then they published the photo where she's literally standing behind him. And then even he came out and was like, okay, okay, I apologize. <laughs> I, I was wrong. Because it is threatened. Like, it is a big news item if you either decry or do something against 9-11 right. or, or you were one of the main people, you know, you get a lot of bang for that buck. Right. Where were you on yeah. 9-11? You know, what did you do to help? Yeah. And so she becomes after, you know, she becomes because of this story that she's telling, she becomes president of the Survivors Association. And she also really fought for the survivors and she lobbied politicians and this led to an increased recognition for hmm. the for the survivors. 
she successfully negotiated that the survivors be given access to Ground Zero. A lot of them wanted to return. Wow. And she actually successfully you know, lobbied to, to get survivors, actual survivors who weren't lying, access to Ground Zero. It, it reminds me of one of those 80s movies where the person fake pretends to be a woman or a guy to get into a thing, but then they end up doing great. <laughs> right. She, like Tootsie? Yeah, like Tootsie. She, she was never paid for any of it also. She never benefited monetarily. Wow. Even though it's hard to necessarily nail that down because... Yeah. Did she write books or something? I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. And she actually donated her own money to the group. So she potentially wow. she potentially lost money. So that you know shoots well, down one p- potential motive for lying, yeah, which what is what a weird combination. Well, let's get into that okay. in a second. She was hailed as quote unquote America's most famous survivor of nine eleven. People huh. considered her the most famous survivor because not right. only did she have this incredible story, and one of the very few people that survived, you know those circumstances but her fiance died in the attack she her assistant was decapitated in front of her eyes a dying man gave her a wedding ring and she you know returned it to to the loved it's just it's got all the elements you know i mean i'm surprised they didn't make a movie about her yeah because they made movies about other survivors of 9-11 the the one with nicholas cage in it and was it nicholas cage well they they made that well anyways but but I am. I'm also surprised that the uh, that the other actual survivors weren't like, wait a minute, what? Right. You saw what? Right. And maybe there were, but it wasn't yeah. prominent enough. But then, then again, even if you are, let's say you are in that group, yeah. Would you again question one of your own? Right. She's the president. Yeah. Obviously, she must be legit. Yeah. I mean, everyone else has made her president, so she's got to be legit. Yeah. So, how many years do you think this this lie? persisted again the most talked about most written about most investigated oh no more than two i'm sure it lasted for six years six years in 2007 the new york times was going to write an anniversary article uh about 9-11 a six-year you know piece and they wanted to they wanted to get the details of her story Wow. <laughs> and, and so they started to, to instead of just taking her word for it, they started like looking in, you know, because they want, it's like, okay, well, who was your assistant? You know, let's talk to the, their family. Oh, your fiance, Dave, let's talk to his family. And very quickly, they found out that she was lying. It didn't, it didn't take, it didn't take much investigation at all. Of course. They weren't looking to catch her on a lie. No. They were just, you know, what's, what's Dave's name? Where did he grow up? Oh, and, my God. And her lie was instantly discovered as a lie because she didn't have any backstory. There was no, her, who, who's her assistant? Right. And, well, this is, it's like, well, we don't have any records of that. Where does that person, oh, uh, I don't know. And so. Where, where were you Saturday? Oh, I was at a production of, oh, Africa, Brave Africa. I yeah. think I was with Paul Owen. <laughs> she had also lied about getting degrees at Stanford and Harvard. She had never been to Stanford or Harvard. So again, why would you lie about that? It, those are easily, you know, confirmable uh, lies. Okay, so that I have a feeling this was not the first time in her life where she was making up stories. Unknown, but we'll get into that more in a second. It was discovered that she was not even in New York in, in, during 9-11. In fact, she had never been to the United States until well after 9-11. Was she even, did she even have a visa? What the heck? Right. That's another thing you look into, right? No. She had never been to the United States until two years after 9-11. Stop. Like, that's incredible. Right. So when she was initially becoming famous, <laughs> I think she was in Spain writing on the internet, but everyone thought she was actually in New York City. Oh, my God. Well, and it could have been like, you know, it could've, she could have easily said, no, I'm back in my, I'm so scared to go back. You know, I'm traumatized. I'm back in my home country now. Right. She, when it was discovered, when the New York Times came out and said she's lying, she was instantly fired as president of the survivors group. And Richard Zimbler, her successor as president, said, 
There was no reason to doubt her story. She looked the part. She had a badly injured arm that appeared to have burn scars, and her story was very, very realistic. Now, what do you think about that, bro? Well, yeah, it sounds like she had made up a lot of details, but like I said a little bit ago, I, I, I'm starting to think that she might be a, like a compulsive liar, and she might be very experienced yeah. at, at lying, although at the same time, um, kind of careless about whether or not she would get caught in the future. Right. Because then, you know, me thinking maliciously, I would have gone back and I would have researched as much as I could. I would have tweaked my story a little here and there and I would have had plausible deniability. Dude, I was so shell-shocked. I I, I don't know, but it was uh, Ka- Jasmine. That's her name. And then it turns out there was a Jasmine that died. That, right. You know, but instead, it seems like she just kind of got comfortable and then ended up working really hard to self-legitimize her role? Yeah. That's bizarre. Yeah. So then she runs from the media. People reported that she went back to Spain after being caught with the lie. Then a while later, an anonymous letter was sent to the survivors group saying that she had killed herself. She had committed suicide. What? But... It was later confirmed she was lying again. Oh, no. Come on. And she was still alive in Spain. Okay. So she is a compulsive liar. (laughs) In 2012, she was fired from her, just four years ago, she was fired from her position at an insurance company in Barcelona, or how do you say it in Spain? Barcelona. Barcelona. Because her employers found out about her lies in 9-11. Oh, man. That doesn't seem right to me that you would get fired from a job years later because of these lies. I don't know. Well, it depends on what kind of company it is. You could certainly imagine it being a smirch on the reputation of the company. Oh. Uh, because, you know. Yeah. I, I doubt she would get fired from, like, I don't know, a teller at a bank or something. Right. Or <laughs> what What would be a good job for a liar? Like, oh, I know, politician. What? <laughs> but I'm bumped. All right. I, I think she's uh, the new press secretary. <laughs> yeah. On that note, let's take a break and when we get back, we'll, we'll look into the research and some other things. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. We're back. So, Berto, did you have something to say about Loot Crate? Guess what they have? Uh, it's one of the specials they have. What? They have a little Doctor Strange figurine. Ooh. We, we saw Doctor Strange. We did. Wasn't that a little yummy? It was a good movie, right? I liked I it. I, get, I think I gave it a 7 out of 10. Yeah. It wasn't like, it was not my favorite Marvel movie or something, but it was quite entertaining. Um, so they have like a little uh, theme going with lots, obviously lots of superhero stuff. They have like, oh my God, a Deadpool that I'm looking on their site right now. A lot of Iron so Man. So Loot Crate Marvel. has various different boxes that you can choose to be sent to you or someone you love that's a nerd. Oh and there's different themes of, of, of these <gasps> Loot Crates. They have a South Park. Oh my God, they have a South Park special edition crate. So if you go to Loot Crate and you use the promo code PSYCHOLOGY, then you get a discount and we also get a kickback. And we, you can be giving me a South Park. You will get a discount when you get me the South Park Loot Crate. Maybe we should put our money where our mouths are and actually get each other Loot Crates for Christmas or something. That would be sacrilege. Okay, so getting back to Tanya Head here. Now, this is 100% speculation. Now, there's a new book coming out that is all about, or maybe it's already come out, but it's a recent book that's all about her and her lies and stuff. So maybe there will be more details. I tried to find details about her life prior to the lie, which it was hard to find. That sounds like a fascinating book that I will be getting. Right. So it's like, how did she get to that point? But this is, and, and based on everything I can get, which isn't much, this is very speculative. But here's what I can imagine. Uh, happening. She's in Spain. She grows up with parents that aren't so great. And she learns early that lying actually can help her. She in all likelihood wasn't, you know, wouldn't, wasn't a terrible liar. Maybe it'll come out that she was, but I'm guessing that she wasn't because she didn't lie very much. She lied about one thing many times, but she she didn't lie all the time because then she would have been discovered if she was just like a pathological yeah. compulsive liar. She, she also she lived for ten years in Greece, in, like when she was young. 
Oh, not she did? with her family. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know that? Yep. Oh, not I'm with lying. Her I'm lying. Oh. I'm lying. Okay, she's she's growing up and she doesn't have a, a good upbringing in all likelihood, and she learns at an early life that lying is actually an effective way to either stay out of trouble from abuse or to get love and attention or, or something. It's just it's it's probable to me. And this is actually a common syndrome for a lot of people. It's not it's not an uncommon thing. And uh, so if and also if you see pictures of her, she's she's extremely overweight. I've seen pictures, yes. Yeah. She does not seem too healthy. Not no judgment, but societies tend to not treat these people very well. Mm-hmm. Romantically, friend, you know, people who are overweight tend to get treated very badly. And I can imagine she's in Spain, she's lonely, she doesn't have, you know, friends maybe, she, her career isn't going so great. She's in business school at the time, actually. And she, you know, 9-11 happens and everyone all over the world hears about it. It's a, it's a world phenomenon. And... She gets online, and she she makes up a story. Yeah. And instantly, she starts getting attention from that. And maybe it's not the first time she's done it. Maybe she's lied here and there on the internet, just, you know, quote-unquote, innocently, non-consequentially, you know, did no consequence, inconsequentially. And she she drops in this lie. I was in the tower when it, when it went down. And, the, and again, I have, this is all speculation. Yeah. And then someone gives her a reward, like, oh, my God, tell me more. And she's like, oh, okay. People do this all the time. No, no, I, I, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. So people make up stuff all the time. They, they lie, and then they get attention, and, and then they play the role. It's, it's, you, know, you could almost consider it innocent role-playing or something. And then, and then there's that threshold at which point maybe it just dissipates and it goes fades back right. into nothing. Right. Right. 99.9999% of the lies that happen on the Internet – Basically, just end nowhere right. <laughs> without any consequence to it. But in this instance, and I would speculate, actually, that there were thousands of people making very similar lies on the internet about this, right. which I'll get into more in a second. But when I first looked into this, I was like, who is this Tanya head person? Why would she lie about that? But the more I looked into it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, look, there were a lot of people lying. She just happens to be the most infamous liar. Yeah. And so, and what made her infamous was that this survivors group, I don't know how she got there, but they completely embraced her and eventually made her president. Now, say she was just a regular survivor. Well, she wouldn't be the spokesperson for the survivors group, and therefore her lie would just kind of disappear into the background. But right. because she's president, she's often called upon by the news to speak out and da da da. And then she was lobbying, you know, she's given this power to lobby for the survivor. You know, the other survivors are like, Tanya, please fight for our rights. And so she's like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to go to, and she starts, you know, and, and in this moment, she's needed. And, and she ultimately becomes the least likely to be lying in the first place. Right. <laughs> she is needed. People love her. Yep. They praise her. They consider her a hero in some ways. She is allowed to have a purpose mm-hmm. to fight for the survivors. What an intoxicating experience, right? Now she has to uphold the lie because if she comes forward and says, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I made it all up. But I'm still fighting for you guys. <laughs> her entire life would be over. Yep. Everything would fall apart. Her, she'd, she'd have to go back to Spain, humiliated. And again, I don't know, but I have a hard time believing that when she made that first lie on the internet, that she thought, I'm going to be world famous for this lie. I suspect it was a slippery slope that eventually led her to the position that she was in. Again, speculation. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it was a very well-orchestrated thing to start with. Um, I right. would imagine more like what you're saying, which is, Oh, I'm getting a lot of attention, and um, but then again, my my speculation, which I'll continue to make, is that this was probably not the first time in her life. Like you said, you know, she had probably learned that. Yeah, I, I'll just say things, and 
if I spin the truth or I just make up certain things, it gets me in the right places or gets me the right attention. Yeah. There's also a possibility that I'll just throw out there that she is just like you and me and she doesn't tend to lie very much and that in this in the fervor around 9/11 she got caught up in in the in the wave of the fervor and she decided in a spontaneous moment of weirdness to make this one lie on the internet and then it just sort of again slippery slope it just cascaded into her life that she was eventually in and then once you're in it what are you going to do uh, i've seen um have you seen these videos on YouTube where uh, they have these martial artists that claim they can yeah. stop with their mind, stop yeah. people with their mind? And there's this one video with an old guy. Like, he's, he's an old martial art teacher. Yeah. And in his school, that's what they do. And then finally, he gets challenged to a real fight with some wrestler guy. And the wrestler, the you, um, mixed martial artist, the mixed martial artist ends up beating him really bad, like punches him really hard. Yeah. And the thing is, you think, well, if the guy knew he was full of shit why would he have agreed but i feel like at some point you they start believing their own yeah mythos so <laughs> tanya could have been in that situation she might have started actually believe i have a hard time imagining that you could believe a lie like that yeah or, or maybe not so much like because that it's hard to imagine she just forgot that she made it up but more like feeling a, a self-righteousness of like well it doesn't matter how i got here now i am here right. and look at all the good i am doing right and and you could imagine that that might be at play right there's a lot of denial and mental tricks that we all do in various ways the one i will frequently bring up is we have a lot of liberal listeners and if 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 you're pro or let's say we have a lot of pro environment people yeah well how many of you people use electricity or or combustion engines well you are raping including myself the world that's different because the good we do every day with our lives and our jobs makes up more than makes up for the carbon we're burning and and the recycling that you do <laughs> it's all complete you know that everyone knows this you you everyone i'm talking to you right now knows that using electricity going in cars flying in airplanes they all put carbon into the atmosphere which creates a potential runaway uh a greenhouse effect that will kill many, many people on this planet or displace them. And, or there's a slight chance that in a couple centuries, it could lead to essentially a Venus and nothing can live on this planet. That, that's and, what, yeah. and so everyone knows that I'm not saying anything new, but, th but this is why I buy uh, iPhones because those are built in other countries. And so that pollution doesn't affect me. And the only solution to this per individual is to stop using electricity and stop using transportation, taking a bike everywhere, and maybe not even taking a bike because the creation of that bike creates carbon. So don't now, meet. That, will, that will completely ruin everyone's life that's listening to this, right? And so your brain has a dissonance there. And you will play a trick on yourself and you will go into denial and you will say, well, someone will figure it out. Well, I'm recycling. Well, there's solar. It'll, it'll fix all our problems. Right. There is no sign of that happening. Solar, if it could solve our problems, would be wonderful. But believe me, when you start looking at what solar actually can do, it, it is not, and if it could solve our problems, it would have already. Do you know what I mean? Now, in the 50 years, technology, blah, 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 maybe. But we are, you know, people that listen to this podcast, my guests, are extremely pro-environment and at the same time, one of the biggest polluters on this planet, if they're American or if they're in, if they're in an industrial first world country, you're in all likelihood one of the most polluting people on this planet. Now, I'm not judging you. I no, am no, one of those no. people. And, and those dissonances are all over the place because you have, uh, you know, many of us have in the past been against nuclear plants, you know, because, well, it's nukes, but at the same time, they're, they're less polluting than some of the alternatives. Uh, people eat meat, and therefore we need to raise lots of cattle. And that's one of the biggest pollutants as well. And then on and on. And all these are cognitive dissonances. And everyone knows this. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, 
it's 2016. If you haven't heard this stuff, I don't know what you know rock you've been under. And yet, we continue to do it. Now, some of you out there might say, well, I don't drive a car, and I don't eat meat, and I don't do... Okay, you know, fine. You're, you're one of the... You're good. You're one of, and that's why <laughs> yeah. I can pollute, because you're not. You know, we, but you know, we, we cancel each other out. But you know what they say? They say, look, I don't drive a car. I don't eat meat. And I was one of the 19 survivors at 9-11. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest things I want to say about the Tanya Head situation is that it, it's just another example of how the media is a joke. We, we should have known... Someone should have checked her story long before they did in, in 2007. I mean, six years of no one looking into this. Her lies were extremely fragile to investigation. <laughs> they were easily detectable. In interviews, she at one time said her fiancé died. In other interviews, she said it was her husband, Dave, who died. And then she went back and said it was her fiancé again. Just that alone is, is easily researchable. She wasn't even in the United States during 9-11. She had never even been to the United States. That's, again, easy to discover. Well, but keep in mind, during the same time frame is where no one, again, in the media is saying, wait, 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 is Iraq the right country that we should be bombing? (laughs) All they had to do was look into the death of Dave and all they had to do was look into the death of 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 her assistant and both those people never existed. That would have been extremely easy to look into and completely relevant before publishing a story. I mean, think about all that. See, it's, so many journalists and media people mm-hmm. published her story. That's right. Based on her account only. They didn't look up the guy's name. They didn't look up the... I mean, it's, it's all just disgraceful. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, do we know that Dave and the and the assistant didn't actually exist, or was it maybe a Mandela effect thing happening? I forget. Where reality has been altered. I f- I'd have to look into it. Um, you know, the other thing was she never worked. She never even been in the towers, let alone worked there. That wouldn't have been that hard to corroborate. It's like okay, we're, what? Because she said I worked for this company on right. the set, and all you had to do was go to other people who work for that company and who weren't there that day or survived and say like, did you know this woman? And they'd be like, no, I didn't know. And so the whole thing was a house of cards that would have been easily. So this is a big media fail. Actually, the proof is that when they finally did look into it years later, it collapsed immediately. Right. Immediately. Because the lies, you know, the fact that she said she went to Stanford and Harvard, (laughs) you know, again, pretty easy things to corroborate. Okay. (laughs) Those are puzzling. It's like, hey, as long as I'm lying, it's like, you know, it's all like the big sale. Everything must go. I'm just going to add to it. I went right. to Stanford and Harvard. And- Which points to a motive around these lies of she wants to get attention. Yeah. She wants people to respect her. She wants people to think she's smart and heroic or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which is something we all want. All right. Now. Tanya Head was one of many people who had lied. I'm guessing thousands of people have lied about it since 9-11, probably to get attention. For instance, the second famous, most famous liar, do you know his name? Mm, George, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) He's he's a comedian, and his name is Steve Ranazisi. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's an American comedian, and he lied in a similar fashion. And this sounds familiar, but I don't think I remember any details on this. Yeah, he he's a comedian, and he I can't remember the exact. I think he said he I don't, he didn't. I don't think he said he was in the building, but he said he was like near ground zero or something. The and, extreme lie would be like I was in one of the planes. Yeah, and he lied about it until I think two thousand nine. I think he was I think he was not really caught until two thousand nine. Uh. Hmm. Perhaps a tie for the second most famous 9-11 liar is Charles Giles. He's another famous guy. He said he was inside the building when it fell. Okay. Inside the building when it fell. He said, I was pulled out from the rubble. Again, another, similar to Tanya had interviewed probably hundreds and hundreds of times, quoted hundreds of times because of his, you know, extremely fascinating story, right? He was... In the building when it collapsed. 
He said he was in the he said he was in the building when it collapsed, and there was a uh, a first responder, one of the firemen who actually saved his life, and he identified the badge number of the guy who saved his life, and he told the story over and over and over again. He That's... claimed he also claimed he was permanently damaged by the dust and soot that he breathed in, and he received a lot of media attention, and many people gave him money. Right. To pay for his medical bills that were non-existent. Hmm. And it was later found out that he was completely lying about the whole thing. They actually confronted him in an interview. You can actually listen to it. It's, oh, my God. Yeah. That's priceless. Well, because and then they interviewed the guy who actually had that badge number. Uh-huh. And he's like, this is ridiculous. I wasn't there. Blah, blah, blah. And then they asked him. It's like, well, the, the guy is saying. He wasn't even there, and he's just like, "Well, I don't know what to tell you." He like he, he had no follow up lie. Like all he had to say was like, "Well, maybe I got the number wrong." You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I don't know what to tell you. you. Know, am I missing something? How could anyone survive in the building during the collapse? Some people did. Some, really? Yeah, because when the buildings pockets, collapsed, pockets. Well, pockets, and it for for some of it, it didn't it it didn't crush the main floor because the floors above the ground floor had some structural integrity that sort of kept things at bay. The demolition was shoddy. There were people accounts. If I'm not, if I'm, you know, if my memory is right, that heard the building collapse while they were inside and, you know, it sounded, you just imagine the noise. Oh no, like leave them deaf. And the, and the wind and blah, blah, blah. And then they get knocked down and then they, they, they come to and they look up and they see the blue sky. Holy crap. You know, that the, their floor was the last floor not to collapse. You know oh what I mean? Oh my God. And then there are other people that, you know, were in the rubble and just didn't get crushed for whatever reason because of random chance of how the stuff fell. And then as they were exhuming people they they found people who were alive you know? and then there was that one dude that ben affleck saved yeah exactly let's take another break and when we get back we'll continue talking about research and other ki- kinds of psychological things about lying what do you say yep all right we're back if you haven't become a patron already please do so by going to patreon.com if you become a patron of the podcast you get access to all our premium episodes and you also get access to the feed in which there's no commercials so if you become a patron, you don't have to listen to the commercials you just had to listen to and or skip. <laughs> okay, let's look at the, the oh, another uh, person, a psychiatrist, Jean Kim, Asian-American gal. In, in, she's a psychiatrist in New York City. She wrote an article for the Washington Post, and she said that when she had many of her clients would come in, her patients would claim they were there. And over time, she would start suspecting that many of her patients were lying about it. She said in her piece, No other event has inspired so many false claims among my patients. And people of all stripes and socioeconomic classes seem to sense the power lurking behind that type of attention, hmm. that, that kind of historic relevancy. So that's what I was trying to explain earlier Weird. in terms of like how – for 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 younger people i'm guessing and maybe for people that didn't live in the states the the power as she puts it the the power lurking behind that kind of attention at that time today if you said i was there in the building like you'd get some attention but it, right after 911 yeah the power of being one of those people that was there i mean i knew people that were saying I was in Jersey and I saw it. I saw the buildings on fire, and I was like, "Oh my God, tell me more! You, right. you got to tell me the whole story." Or someone who was in Manhattan at the time. I mean, I was just extremely fascinated with those stories. Like, oh, you were there! Like, what did you see? And what was it like? And did you right. see the dust? And well, well, actually, so um, this is not a lie, by the way. I was in New York a year after nine eleven. I don't know. It wasn't exactly a year or something like that, but it was the year afterwards. And I was at a building that uh, used to overlook, uh, not overlook, but you could see the towers from this other building. I think it's the Viacom building or something like this. And I was up there in floor 20, whatever, you know, pretty high up. And uh, the people that we were meeting with said, uh, because the topic came up, okay, so what was it like that day and stuff like that? And they're like, yeah, I mean, look through that window right there. That's where the towers were. 
Yeah. And that was, uh, and this is, we're talking about like many, many months after the fact. And even just from that, when I got back and I was telling, you know, friends or people I knew about that, that alone was powerful. Like, oh my God, I talked to people that were in a tower and they saw the towers. Right. Like, so imagine the attention and the temptation and seduction of making such a lie yep. to put yourself in the building at the time. Yeah. And, and, and the instant attention and love and admiration and, and people who want to talk to you right. in a time for yourself when you might think no one ever wants to talk to you for the rest of your life. And so I wonder if Tanya Head actually considers it all worth it, you know? Right. But, and, and, you know, for six years, she was beloved by many people, you know? That's right. And, and there, there's also something interesting at play, which is that you might imagine that the, the kind of individual that is feeling lonely and et cetera, et cetera, that would make such a lie is probably the kind of individual that's not surrounded by a lot of people that could deny that lie easily. Right. right. So it's almost like, Kind of a self-fulfilling situation there. But there's another thing. Okay, she wasn't a shut-in when she was in Spain lying about this. She was in business school. So unless they were on break, at least her classmates or her professors would have known. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, or her family members. I mean, that's another thing. It's how many people knew about the lie and didn't say anything. But anyway, so going into the research, I, I looked into the research on what would be relevant to this. And really, I only found one one research study, and it said that the profile, the psychological profile of people who frequently lie have higher scores on the psychopathic trait measures, Okay, <laughs> which is uh, a big no-duh, because that's one of the cornerstones of being a psychopath is, is lying. Now, having said that, psychopath does not mean you're a serial killer or you're you know, a terrible person. So as I was saying before, you never want to underestimate our ability to play mental tricks. We would call those mental defenses, defense mechanisms. We are extremely, all of us, extremely susceptible to doing whatever it takes to get the love and attention we crave. Many have had experiences that have taught them that no one will ever love them for who they are. I'm guessing Tiny Head is one of those people. So we resort to other tactics other than moral ways of getting love and attention. And over time, they, you know, will justify that kind of behavior in their mind. Tawny Head was likely one of those people. As she lied, like many, many others did, I just want to point out, and I hope I demonstrate that, that she was one of probably thousands of people who lied. But the difference between her and all the others was that she became the president of the survivors group, and she became the most famous survivor of 9-11. I mean, how ironic is that? Is the most famous survivor of 9-11 was lying about it. And when the Times decided to write a piece on her, they discovered her lies. But thousands of others who have lied uh, continue to get away with that lie because no one has investigated it yet. I mean, if you know people who, you know, claim they were there, there's a there's a chance that they're lying about it, or at least they're embellishing it or something. So know? start questioning everyone involved with 9-11. Yeah. So do you think she got what she deserved? You know, she got fired from her job. She's like out, you know, she's outed and everyone hates her. I mean, you type in Tanya Head on the internet and, you know, everyone is, is very much against her. So do you think she got what she deserved? I mean, deserved is a very questionable question, but I will say this. I just don't imagine that there would have been a possible way. I don't know how she reacted, by the way. I don't know if she was like, ah, you're right, you got me, I'm so sorry, blah, blah. Or was she like, no, 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 denying it to the last, I have no idea. But I will say, I just don't see how it could have ended up in any other way than, dude, you're out of here. Right. Because if I had been a survivor, I don't care how rational I am in general or whatever, in that moment, I would have probably been so furious. Right. And many like, of the survivors are very, yeah. very upset. So then uh, there's no way she could have been... Because you got to think... I, I've actually played this game with myself. Okay, so like, think of this. Let's say that it comes out that... Uh, so who's a hero? Someone you idolize. Doctor Strange. In real life. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, the, the football guy? Yeah, okay. football guy. So he comes out, 
And it turns out that um, 15 years ago, he severely, severely beat someone and they're paraplegic for life. When he was like seven years old. Oh, sorry, fine. Ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. Ten years ago. It comes out and it's proven. And it's like he admits it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Does that change how you feel about Russell Wilson? Right. Uh, it, right. It's always it's, a good it's question. A, it's, a, it's not, you don't have to answer, but yeah. the point is, what if we found out someone we really idolized murdered someone 20 years ago? Yeah. Like, these are hard questions. So in this case, what wrongs fully invalidate what rights? Right. And this is an example of it. She did a lot of good while she was lying yeah. for a bit there, yeah. but she still had this, like, unpardonable lie to begin with. Yeah, it's complex, but the bottom line to me is that lying is wrong. It's immoral. She, There were several moments that she could have rescinded her lie, particularly early on. Particularly, there must have been thresholds that were very particular. Like, it's one thing to lie on the internet. It's another thing to lie verbally to someone's face. So she could have decided, like, they could have said, hey, we want an interview with you, or we want to meet you, or something. And she could have said, uh, never mind, you know, I don't, yeah. I'm kind of shy. I don't, then people reach out to her, look, you got to tell your story. And she's like, uh, you know, she could have faded away. But yeah. she committed. She kept, she kept going. And although I understand the seduction of the times and many other people fell for that seduction. And I could almost imagine if I were younger and didn't have the moral compass I did as an adult, I can imagine making up such a lie. If I was 10 and insecure and I was say in the New York city vicinity, I could imagine coming home and telling a lie and then getting caught and feeling humiliated about it. You yeah. know? I, I can almost see that. But you're a grown woman, and there's many moments where you could have you know, pulled the reins or, or, just, or just drifted away. You didn't have to become president of the Survivors Club. Yep. You didn't have to do the interviews. And lying is wrong. There's just no justification. Now, we might be able to understand when her story comes out and her childhood comes out, we might be able to provide some, some psychological damage justification for what she did, but it still doesn't excuse it in my mind. You know, some people, like you said, murder people. And when we look at their life, we see a whole life of abuse and mistreatment. And you could see how they would have anger problems and how, they would have trauma and PTSD, and then that was triggered, and they kill someone. But it's still in, inexcusable to commit immoral acts. It's immoral to lie. It's immoral to murder. It's immoral. It's immoral to harm other people without a good reason. And so, I, I when I when I was looking into this and really thinking about it, I started having sympathy for her. But then I quickly pulled back. Now, I don't think people should burn her at the stake. I think she should get what she deserves, which is the label of an of a internationally famous liar. And she should right. incur the consequences of that. And, and she's been through enough. She saw her assistant get decapitated. She got burned. And I feel like there is, and this is, you know, this isn't a therapist talking. This is more just a human being talking, which is that our society is getting more and more loose when it comes to lying. Like when Brian Williams, he lied about being in that <laughs> helicopter hit by an RPG. Right. Well, he, he, that's a lie. People speculate, well, maybe he sort no, of... it's a lie. <laughs> it's a freaking lie. It's not hard to, to think, even if you said it and they go, well, wait a second, is that what... It's not hard to remember, oh... I was in the helicopter that was not hit by an explosive device. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that, something that would, you'd remember. That would be something you would remember. And he lied. He lied for the exact same way that Tanya had lied in all likelihood to get attention, to make him seem more relevant as a war correspondent. It was tempting for him to lie. But again, just stupid because all you have to do is ask people in the helicopter and they'll say, no, our helicopter wasn't hit. And, and at first he was totally burned to the stake. But now he's back on TV again. Uh, he's still working. Yeah. And okay, fine. People can make their own choices. But when I see him, I think liar. And yeah. I even like the guy because yeah. he, he was actually one of the most hip, you know, journalists right. of that class, right? But, but I mean, look, I can imagine situations where someone, let's say you're trying to get admission into a college uh, back uh, a few years back when because of your, maybe where you were born or your race or something, 
you can't, right? Yeah. And then you lied. You're like, I am half Native American, or um, I was not born in the ghetto, or whatever, right? I didn't shoplift when I was 13 because my family was starving. Nothing, right? And then you get your chance, and then you proceed to make a good life out of yourself and stuff like that. And it's like, well, it sucks you had to resort to that, but I'm, I could see that. I could totally understand that. I could relate to that. But this is a different kind of lie. This is a, I am adjoining myself fictitiously to this group of victims that really were victims, and I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, she didn't get money, maybe, but she, she got way too much benefit out of that, that very insidious lie. And so you're right. We shouldn't burn her at the stake, but absolutely, like, you're done. Like, publicly, like, we don't trust you. <laughs> right. Yeah. James Fry, who wrote A Million Little Pieces on, and Oprah. Oh, right. That whole, Oprah that was a scandal, too. Made him into an overnight sensation, and then Oprah then confronted him and humiliated him on, on the TV show, saying that he was lying. Again, people say, He's a brilliant writer, and you know, some people like he says that people in Europe uh, don't burn him at the stake the way they do in the States because people think that, uh, well, you know, everyone understands that authors will make stuff up. And what, what was the lie? He said it was a memoir. He, oh, I see. It was all it, made up, and but it was completely made up. It was a very racy memoir about his drug addiction and about. Various See, different experiences. That one, I'm a lot l- less like. I no, was like, okay, that's whatever. Well, it it has less of a real consequence to people's lives, but it's still I th- just immoral. I, I think. No, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think again because if he just if someone asked him passing by like is this real and he was like yeah you know most of it's real but he went on record on oprah knowing that his lie would make him more money and make him make his book some more yeah he had long interviews in which he said yep that happened yep that happened yep i remember that happening and and none of it happened maybe the only reason i am i am look i agree with you is it immoral is the guy i i can think of many attributes to call him right now but maybe in my mind i'm saying that one affects his reality. Like, you know, there's no other group of, you know, 20 other people that were supposedly in that same environment and he's lying to make himself one of them. She was, and it was such a, like, life-altering, you know, world news kind of event then maybe that's why it's hard for me to equate them. I think one of them is like, she took advantage of all those victims. She took advantage of, of all the other victims. And in this case, maybe one could make a case that him becoming a liar in that process, maybe it, it could have helped people to read his book. Now it won't help us. But that, I feel like that's a further stretch. You right. Know? Well, to me, I feel like as we talk about this, I have a fairly black and white point of view when it comes to lies that are beyond a certain threshold. I consider them all to be terribly immoral. When you willingly and premeditatively lie to anyone, again, if you're distorted or you remember wrong or you're spinning something a little bit, then that's one thing. But if you are just flat out lying, I consider that to just be one of the most horrible things you can do. I mean, obviously murder and blah, blah, blah is, is probably more or worse. But what I'm, why I'm so black and white about it is not only because of the way I was raised. I mean, I, when I was four years old, I stole my friend's matchbox car. And Mark Hankin was his name. And I stole his red matchbox car. And when I brought it home, uh, and ironically, I, that's not the right word, but Funnily, I had the exact same Matchbox car. In fact, mine was newer and looked better. So why was I stealing a shittier version of the exact same Matchbox car I had? (laughs) But anyway, I stole it. And when I came home, and I remember to this day, sitting there in my living room, just looking at it and contemplating the terrible thing that I did. And my mom walked by and she's like, what are you doing? Just laying here in the middle of the hallway, looking at this matchbox car. And I just broke down crying. And I said, I stole this from Mark. I, you know, and she's like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> why don't you bring it back to him? And I was like, 
can I do that? Will that erase the the (laughs) terrible thing that I did? And she's like, yeah, just next time you see him, tell him you, you know, you took it and you shouldn't have done that. Just apologize. And I was, and ever since then, I, cause I always remember that moment as like this sort of turning moment for my life about honesty. And I feel like in today's world, and maybe this is just old man fist at clouds kind of thing (laughs) is I feel like a lot of people in our society are making excuses for, adults and they're lying. I I think parents are still reprimanding their kids for lying. But whenever these like the Brian Williams thing and the and the Mike Daisy thing about how he made up that whole story about Apple and the Chinese manufacturing people. Remember Mike Daisy? I don't remember that one. Oh, that was another famous kind of okay. kind of James Fry thing. He claimed he was actually there uh, witnessing and interviewing actual Chinese employers for Apple, and he was talking about how Apple was so evil. It was oh, really, it was really see, famous see, at the time. I'm sure you've heard of it. You just don't okay. remember the guy. And then it came out that he never talked to any of those people. I, again, and, and, listen, and so, I hear you, so for man. me, I, I feel like there's examples I, I frequently see in, in the media where society is just like, well, you know, people make stuff up sometimes, and politicians at the same time. And I'm just like, no. That is not okay. We do not, we should not have a society where lying just goes unchecked or without proper consequences. Like Tanya Head, her life is, you know, is, is forever altered and she will always be known as that person who lied. And I feel like when we like someone, we will we will just let them lie. Like, well, you know, some people, they, you know, they make stuff up. Like, let me give you another example. I know you want to say something, but I'm on a roll. (laughs) The writer, um, Dave Sedaris. Do you know David Sedaris? I loved him. He was on This American Life. I, I, I read his books. I would go to his live readings, which Lake Forest Park, I would listen. I would laugh. I just thought David Sedaris was the best. And then... I started realizing, wait a second, some of his stories sound a little funny. It sounds a little too on the nose, too perfect. How does he have this perfect situation to write about? Uh-huh. And then I started realizing, oh, he is probably fudging some of this. And then I learned that some of his stories are completely made up. Right. Some of his stories aren't, but some of his stories are 100% fictional, based on real people and sort of a conglomeration of things. Sure. But essentially fiction, which has completely ruined it for me because he never said, audience, by the way, I'm kind of messing with, I, you know, yeah, some yeah. of these stories are actually completely fictional. And I find that to just be a betrayal because it's like reality TV. When you watch reality TV, many people, when they watch yeah, reality, yeah. they believe it's real. And then you find out it's completely made up. It is... It's a betrayal. I feel betrayed when people do that to me. Yeah. And, and, and if you want to make up funny stories that aren't entirely, you know, real, then go for it and, and right. say, by the way, some of this stuff is made up. In fact, yeah. in some of the stories, a lot of it's made up. Fine. Do that. But the only reason why you're saying it's real is because you know it'll be more compelling. And to me, that's manipulative and it's immoral. Okay. So I don't disagree with you about your assessment of morality. What I'm, I think the only thing, and I don't even think we disagree on this, is I just think that the consequences for different kinds of lying has to be completely different. Right. There's the kind of lying that should lead you to imprisonment, and there's the kind of lying that should lead you to have us go, okay, well, then next time you write something, I'm not going to believe you. I feel like that should be the rule, that yeah. in society, if someone is demonstrated as a liar, then as a society, we never believe anything they say ever again, unless they do something extremely grand to justify us opening up our hearts to that person again, as in life. But a lot of these liars, like James Fry, who wrote uh, A Million Little Pieces, he, in interviews, after he was caught, does not necessarily, in my estimation, he's not saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I don't know what I was doing. I deserve what I got. No, he justifies. He's like, you know, authors, they make stuff up sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, that's called fiction. And when they're interviewed about their fiction, like J.R.R. Token, he will say, yeah, this is fiction. There's no such thing as a hobbit. But James Fry didn't do that. When he was asked, is this real? He said it was real. Yeah. And, I, and I just feel like as a society, we're getting too loose on that. Yeah, absolutely. I just feel like there are 
currently people that are heads of major tobacco companies, major uh, um, automotive companies, major Wall Street companies, et cetera, that should absolutely be in jail right. because they lied. Right. Versus this Banks. dude, this dude, he should just have Oprah confront him and all of us, the next time he writes a book that's supposed to be real, all of right. us go, sorry, dude, we're not buying it. Right. <laughs> we have this thing. It's like, well, in business, you know, sometimes you lie to get your way. I'm saying, no, that's not okay. That's right. Uh, well, you know, politicians, sometimes they lie to get in office. Yeah. No, that's not okay. Right. That should be the direct opposite. You should have the, the exact opposite feeling. Even if they're your candidate, right? If they're lying, that's the politicians in my mind should be the most afraid of lying, but they are the most unafraid of yeah, lying. The comfort comfort levels. Politicians are the most comfortable liars in our entire country, and that is a problem. Yeah. It's a and what I think of it is is as a society we're not holding them accountable, and I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm saying. We're making too many excuses for lying, and I feel like we're on a, a train to just more and more lies, yeah. more and more fictions. The reality TV shows are, in my mind, immoral because they are right. telling Americans and watchers that all this stuff is extremely nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. But there are reality TV shows that are extremely fiction, and they'll come out, you know, there'll be exposés, and they'll show like the whole thing is scripted and da da da. But unfortunately, I think it. Um for example, politicians get rewarded uh, directly and indirectly for lying because when they're speaking to a, gr- a room of people, of average political consumers, if you will, uh, you know, it's not exciting for them to say, we're going to really try to see if we can negotiate. A-. No, what's exciting is for them to say, we will stop at n- this nonsense right the first day I'm in office. Right. And as a society, we need a system that holds them accountable is the point. And we just don't have that. And again, we just have a loosening morality regarding that. So again, old man shakes fist at clouds. I don't like kids today with all their tweeters and their lies. (laughs) By the way, he's lying. He's lying. Don't believe him. Rock and roll music. Well, that does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. (laughs) 